up and ready to go. Uh, hey, we're going to be uh, starting a new series uh, still within the Bible Engagement Project. So if you haven't downloaded the app, download that app because it is awesome, man. You get uh, devotionals. You get studies. It's really, really cool. How many people already have it and are going through it? Rock stars, man. Love it. You guys enjoy it? It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's pretty cool. And so if you need help downloading it, come see a leader. We have some uh, little cards we can give you to show you how to uh, get that going. Um, but we're, we're looking at set apart now. So we've gone through Genesis and Exodus and, and, and all of what Israel went through. We looked at Joshua and how leadership changed. And now they've entered into Jericho. Um, Joshua has now passed on. And what they've done is they've established these judges. These um, Israel just finds itself in a cycle. So they see, shh, everything good? All right. They see themselves in a cycle, and they see themselves uh, in, in a really bad spot a lot of times. And so what they've done is they've established these, these leaders um, who are the judges. And so we're going to read in Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But before we do and get into it, have you guys ever had somebody in your life, um, not, not quite yet, um, if you, have you ever had somebody in your life that, like, is always encouraging you. Like, it's, it's, it's easy to get in your feelings, right, or get in your head a little bit, right? Isn't it? You just leave that there. It's easy to get in your head and start to think, like, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that or I'm not capable of this or whatever, right? You see that happen a lot. And it's always good to have people, friends, who can come in and say, you can do it. I believe in you. I trust in you. I, 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 I know that you can handle whatever you're facing or whatever you're going through. I, I believe in you, right? I had a friend like that. Uh, he's still one of my good friends. Um, if you were at my wedding, you saw him. Uh, he was standing right here. I think he was, was Eddie third, fourth, third? Yeah, third. And uh, Eddie, if, if you're watching, man, um, love you and, and uh, you're awesome. Can't wait to see you here pretty soon. And I'll be texting you about that. So hopefully you're watching. Anyway, um, so Eddie was the kind of friend who if I was doing something, he would encourage me in what I was doing. He was there for me. He would tell me that I can do it, even when I felt like I couldn't. Even when I felt like what I was doing was so crazy and, and I was just so out of my element or out of my league or whatever, he was always there to be there to remind me of who I really was. He always called me into more. You know what I mean? Hey, buddy, can you just put the cup down there? Thank you. He always, he always um, did that for me. Sometimes those conversations, he legitimately would smack me across the face. Because he'd be like, stop acting like a knucklehead. Now, granted, it was cool. Like, that was just our friendship. I wouldn't suggest slapping your friends in the face every time. <laughs> don't do it. A couple people already turned around and started doing it. Please don't. But, like, he's that kind of friend. It was really awesome to know that he always had my back, no matter what I was going to do. Or, or, or he, he was there for me. Even when I didn't believe myself and, and didn't believe what I was doing uh, was, was anything that I could do. Does that make sense? You guys sometimes feel like you're in the deep waters sometimes. Like, I am way out of my element. Okay. We're going to read something here. 
uh, in Judges. Like I said, uh, we've moved past Joshua a little bit, and we're getting into the era of Judges. Israel's found themselves in a, in a cycle of disobedience, turning away from God, acting in rebellion, getting enslaved, uh, getting uh, oppressed by other foreign countries, and then eventually redeemed. They're in this cycle in Judges six times. Six times they do the same thing. I disobey, and then I get uh, uh, sent to deliver, and then, you know, all the, the cycle repeats itself six times. What we're going to read is the fifth uh, occurrence that they found, Israel found themselves under oppression. A prophet, right before chapter 11, which is where we're going to start out, a prophet has come, and he's given a word that Israel's uh, being judged, and there's going to be a time... Uh, that, that they'll come out of it. But the prophecy is weird because it doesn't give a word at the end of it. It's not a promise. It's not a declaration. It's not a judgment. It just kind of ends. And then it picks up right here. So if you guys uh, have your Bibles, you can turn to 11, 611. If you don't, you can check it up here. Um, so it says this. Let me see if I can find it here. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down, under the oak in Ophrah, and that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The Midianites were the people oppressing Israel. Okay? So you have Gideon here, and then you have the Midianites oppressing Israel. When the angel of the Lord, in verse 12, appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Everybody say, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, in these two verses, I always feel like I stop like really early and grab stuff, but there's so much in God's word that is so amazing because already here, we see some vital background information in understanding who Gideon is. You see, he's threshing wheat and, and he's, he's preparing it and getting it ready, but he's in a wine press. He's not doing uh, uh, it the way that it was normally done. What he's trying to do is he's trying to hide from the Midianites. He's trying to keep what he's got and also keep himself safe away from the, uh, the Midianites. And it says uh, his name is Gideon. Anybody know what Gideon means in Hebrew? Anybody Hebrew scholars? No? Okay. It means a hacker, somebody who, who hacks things down, threshing wheat, right, hacking it down, getting it ready to go, putting it in the wine press, getting all of this stuff ready to go. It's a function that he will soon be called upon to fulfill as he destroys the altar of Baal, one of these false gods that his father built up. We're not going to read that story, but I'm going to reference it a little bit. Basically what happens is God is like, hey, I want you to tear down your father's uh, altar to this false god, okay? And, and, and he does it. So, so Gideon is pretty an important, it's a pretty important name because he's the hacker. He hacks things down. He tears things up. And he, and he, and he does it for the Lord. And he found himself in a state of depression. If you guys were under... Um, rule from another country, if America was under the rule of another country, it would probably be a pretty bad situation, wouldn't it? Like, if you were under oppression, if you had state police come in, but it wasn't your state police because it's not America, like, it would be kind of uncomfortable, wouldn't it? You would kind of find yourself in a spot where you're feeling a little depressed. 
Gideon's hiding himself. And so it seems weird that the angel of the Lord, when he appears to Gideon, he says, you're a mighty warrior. Why would he already say that? Why would he already do that? I want you guys to grab onto this already from two verses. God sees what we can't. God sees what we can't. If you were taking notes, grab that because it is important to know that Gideon is in this state of depression. He's in this spot where it's like, man, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. But he's finding himself in a place of hopelessness. God sees more in us than we can see in ourselves sometimes. Like my friend Eddie, like I was sharing at the beginning. Sometimes God calls us into things that we have no idea how to start or how to finish or how to do. We have no clue where to begin. We just have to trust that he knows the situation better than we do. So he knows better than me. Better than me. You see... When I, was going to, when I was going to college, uh, I didn't have a reliable car. I had a 2002 Ford Taurus, right? And it was supposed to be an awesome, cheap $2,000 car. Turned out that we drove it for like three months, and the battery had to be replaced. And then we drove it another six months, and the battery had to be replaced again. Like, it was a trash car. And I was getting ready to go to Springfield for college. I was, uh, it's a seven-hour trip about 300 miles, and I'm driving in this dinky Ford Taurus. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to need a miracle. I was praying healing over my Ford Taurus. Like, please, Father, just heal the engine, heal the tires here, heal everything in this car. Don't do that. It doesn't really work. Just take it to a mechanic. Or Jonah. You can take it to Jonah. He would. <laughs> and so I was, like, seriously in a spot where I'm like, I'm like, a semester out, right? And I do not know what I'm going to do for my car. My parents left one morning and just dipped out, which was weird. because They didn't send me a text. They didn't do anything, right? They like tricking me a lot. Let me share this story last week about how they're like, you know, we're not coming for spring break. And then they end up showing up, like all that stuff. But my parents left one morning and about one o'clock they said, hey, can you come outside real quick? I'm like, all right, cool. Where you guys been? They pulled up in um, my car now. It's the same one that they bought uh, in that, that Pontiac G7 or G6. It's a 2007. And at that time, it didn't even have 100,000 miles on it. Like, it was a, it was, it was a brand new used car. <laughs> you guys ever had a brand new used car before? Yeah, like, it was, it was, a, it was new to me, darn it. It was new to me. And so I was happy. And it was reliable. It was something that I could take. I put so many miles on it, seven hours, 300 miles, back and forth about five times a year, six times a year. Like, put a lot of miles on it. You see, that morning while I was just hanging out at the house, they knew what I was going to get. And they knew what I was going to receive. And they knew when they called me outside that they already had something that was going to answer the needs and, and put me where I needed to go. I needed to go to Missouri for college. And they gave me the means to do that. I didn't know that they had it yet. It's the same thing. Sometimes God sees things in us that we don't even see in ourselves. Sometimes God will place things in us that we go, I don't even know how you can handle this or how I'm going to be able to do this. But God is saying, I've called you to it, so I'm going to call you through it. Okay? As we keep reading in uh, verse 13, 
Gideon, this depressed dude in Israel, is like, pardon me, my Lord. Bible's so funny. Like, excuse me, homie? Like, hold on. He said, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, hold on, sorry. Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said nothing? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In verse 15, he says, pardon me, my Lord. Again, like, excuse me, homie. Excuse me. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord said, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Check this out. A lot of times when God calls us to things or God places things in our heart, we can go, excuse me, pardon me, hold on, no, not me. You need to find somebody else. But I want you to realize that our insignificance is insignificant to God. Our insignificance is insignificant to God. Gideon's response is challenging both aspects of what in verse 12 or verse 11 that this angel called Gideon into. First, he cast doubt on the presence of the Lord. I'm with you for you're a strong, mighty warrior. He's like, you're not with me. We're under oppression, and we've been under oppression for like seven years. This is not going to change. The Lord is not with me. And then he also turns around, and, and he says, I'm the least of my tribe, and I'm the least in my family. You want to know an interesting thing about this story, though, as I was researching and, and getting stuff ready to go and preparing for this? His father had land, like substantial amount of land. So back in that time, if you had land, you had money. And if you had money, you had prominence. Right? The most significant people in this culture, the most significant people in this time period were the people who had land and had money. So here he is saying, I'm insignificant, but his family wasn't very insignificant. Remember how I said he tore down his father's altar to the false god? Those things cost a lot of money. So the fact that it was even there proved that he had a place of prominence probably within his community, or at least his family did. Yes, sometimes feel like the oddball in your family, like the black sheep a little bit sometimes. Yeah, you can feel that way sometimes when in reality the situation isn't that. I thought that was so interesting because for, for so long I was looking and it was like, uh, he's, he's a nobody, but he's, he might not have actually been. We don't have an answer in scripture of, uh, to, to refute it or anything, but like he might not have been this insignificant character that he said he was. You see, Gideon felt unqualified and unprepared to do what God was telling him to do. Does that sound familiar? You ever felt unprepared and unqualified to do what God has called you to do? All the time. Yeah. Sometimes you can feel that way. We may feel like we're insignificant and we might not have family to get along with. We might not, we might be the odd one in our friend groups. 
Maybe some of you guys are just loners in every sense of the word. Hey, I'm cool. I, I, like, I like being a homebody a little bit, so it's all good. There's no shame or condemnation in that. I'm just saying, like, that's how we can feel sometimes. So when God, when God is calling something out of us, we can go, well, why me? Like, I'm a nobody. You see, I don't see myself as somebody who's qualified to get to do what I do. Like, I'm 24 years old. I never led a ministry before this one. I'm a first-generation pastor. I don't have, I'm married into an amazing family of pastors, but like my family, I don't have a plethora of family to go to and be like, hey, I'm a minister. Can you help me how to do, show me how to do this or help me, you know, no missionaries. First-generation pastor, I, I don't have ministry-seasoned family to draw from. Just being completely honest, transparent with you guys, I make a lot of mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. If I've ever, let me just say, it's a little off topic, but I, I just want to say, if I've ever left you hanging, if I've ever not texted you back after a while or whatever, let me just say from here, I'm sorry for that. I make a lot of mistakes, guys. I'm still really new at this. My two years is still this summer away, like, I'm very new, but God called me to youth ministry at 13 years old, and in middle school, I didn't have very many friends, in high school, I had even less, in college, I had even less, which is weird, because the bubbles get bigger, so you should have more, anyway, that just goes to show you, like, I didn't, I, I shouldn't have never had the opportunity to study ministry, theology, youth culture in the way that I did. I should have never had the people invest in me that invested in me. I got to graduate and move across the country to be with you guys. Like, that's awesome, man. It was so awesome that God gets to call me to do that. I get to be involved in your lives. I get to be there. I get to hang out with you guys. I get to go get, grab coffee, and when they let me back in, I'll be able to go catch basketball games and and hockey games, and all this stuff. I love what I do, and God called me into it, but I'm not a very significant person. I'm not a, place, I'm not a person with a lot of prominence or anything like that. Guys, God can use any one of us to do what he wants to do. We just have to let him do that. I got a, a few more verses uh, in uh, chapter 36. We're going to drop down here in chapter 36. Gideon said to God, so, so he's been called to do this amazing thing of saving Israel. And Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if, the dew, if there is only dew on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. So he's like, I'm going to lay this blanket out. If it's wet and the ground around it is dry, I'll believe that you are calling me to do this thing. Isn't God's word enough, first off? <laughs> like, kind of interesting. We'll get into it here in a little bit. Said, said, and then it happened. That is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. All he was asking for was for dew. 
He got a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. In verse 40, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. He went on to, to save Israel. He went on to, to do this thing. Uh, do you guys know the story of Gideon's army? being whittled down. He had 32,000 people, or yeah, 3,200 maybe. I can't remember. I, maybe I'm adding an extra zero. Took them all the way down to 300, and they still won the war. They still won the battle. I think that that is awesome. But here's the thing. We have to, we have to, we read this story, and we're like, oh, it's cool to test God and ask him to do all this stuff. Like he's a genie. But listen, we have to trust God before we test him. You have to trust God before you test him. And when he answers a test, don't be greedy. Don't ask for more. God's word should have been enough, but it wasn't. He asked for a test. God answered the test, and that wasn't enough, so he asked for another test. Guys, a lot of times we can read this and go, it's cool to test God. It's cool to do this. It's cool to do that. And a lot of times we can go, oh, man, that's a great example of that. I'm going to do that. This is not a good example. Guys, Gideon is doubting himself after God already said, I am calling you to be a strong and mighty warrior. If you're dealing with doubt, if you're dealing with any of this stuff, let me tell you, That we have to trust him before we test him. If we want to be confident in our faith in, in God, if we want to be confident, how many people want a confident faith? You don't want a shaky faith. You want something that's strong. It's a foundation that's firm. Yeah? Exactly. If we want to be confident, we have to trust his word and trust his word when he speaks. If all you're doing is looking for symbols and signs and waiting to move before you get those, how, do you think God really wants to constantly be proving himself? No. He'll do it. He did it twice, even when Gideon was kind of being a knucklehead. He did it twice. But we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to learn to trust God before we ever think about testing him. As the worship team can come back and get ready and do everything that you guys need to do. I have 20, so I don't know whose microphone that is. I'll figure it out. Um, as we kind of close, I want you guys to, to just know, when God is asking you to do something, when God is asking you to do something for him, it's easy to push back on it. Right? It's easy to start disqualifying yourself. It's easy to say, oh, I'm not like, I'm not anybody. I want you guys to know that when God calls something out of you, when God is saying, hey, I'm calling you a strong and mighty warrior. I am calling you to missions. I am calling you to, you know, like we're hearing 
God calling us to things. We have to trust that he's already putting things inside of us that's going to equip us and ready us for what he's calling us to do. You guys get that? Does that make sense? Don't doubt what God is calling out of you because he's already putting it in you. Otherwise, he wouldn't call it out of you. Does that make sense? Sometimes I get word confused, like tongue-tied. We have to trust God. And listen, getting in this, this, this second part in 36 through 40 is, is important because we can't demand God to prove himself all the time. Or all we're going to do is be in a standstill. All we're going to do is be just spinning tires of what we're doing. If he called you, sorry, if he called you, he'll sustain you. If he called you, he'll sustain you. If you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes. Tonight, first and foremost, (laughs) if you're looking for signs and symbols to figure out if God loves you or God cares about you, or if you want to hear God speak, you want to trust him more, we can trust in the fact that he sent his son to live a perfect sinless life and die on a cross for your sins. He was raised three days later, and he spent like 40 days on earth, and then he ascended into heaven. Tonight, if you're even struggling with this thing of like, I don't even know if I can trust him. God loves us that much. Tonight, if you would say, hey, I I don't even have a relationship with the Lord, but I want to have a trust and a faith in a God that can do some incredible, incredible things, and I want him to use me. If that's you tonight, would you please just raise your hand? Nobody looking around. If you're saying, I, wanna, I want God to use me to do something incredible, why not? <laughs> why not? Awesome. Tonight, if you're saying, listen, I deal with this thing that Gideon dealt with of, feeling depressed and feeling insignificant and feeling small and feeling like I can't do it. Maybe God is calling you to something or maybe you're still waiting on listening, but you're like, I don't even feel like I can do what God wants me to do because I'm so me. If that's you tonight, would you just please raise your hand if you're saying, I don't know. Thank you. Tonight, if you're saying, I've been demanding God to move and demanding him to show me signs when I just need to trust him more. If you need to trust the Lord more. I want to pray over these things. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for that one because I think we all could. But I want to pray over you guys and just ask together that God would just allow our hearts to be moved by this and know from this story that God is who he says he is and what he wants to do in us is already there. You have to trust that it's there. We just have to believe in God. So Father, I pray over each and every student, each and every leader, every adult volunteer who is helping out or maybe even just coming through these next few moments. Father, I pray that 
if we don't know you, we would just begin to learn more about you, learn to trust you more. I pray for boldness to speak to one of these leaders, one of our student leaders, to be able to start forming that relationship. Father, if there is anyone here who is dealing with insignificance or feeling small or feeling depressed or feeling down and out, they just feel like they can't be used, Father, I I just speak that it is a lie from the enemy that would want to hold them down, would want to keep them under. Father, our insignificance is insignificant to you, and we are so thankful that you still call us to be your hands and feet. Lord, if there is any of us who are demanding you to move, and not in a, in a way of passion or a way of, of genuine prayer, but, Father, demanding it out of selfishness or because we just don't believe you, I pray that each of us would supernaturally just trust you more. Father, where bridges have been burned with you, not for any faults of your own, but... Father, if there's any bridge that's been burned and people are feeling like God doesn't care, I pray that you would soften their hearts so that they would hear you and hear from you in Jesus' name. Father, I speak over these students that this story and this example of believing you and trusting you would speak loudly to each and every student here. Father, as we enter in this time of worship, you would draw us to a genuine relationship and genuine connection with you tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, we're about to get into worship.